Hi, welcome to the Mohua Show. My name is Mohua Chinappa and I am an author, entrepreneur and ex-housewife. This podcast is about everything from business to technology to arts to lifestyle but done and spoken imandari se. Hi, in today's episode we have with us Jennifer, an author and co-founder of a men's health and support platform. Yes, you heard me right, a men's health and support platform. Jennifer is originally from Melbourne, Australia and Jennifer has faced many challenges in her life and has made some really tough choices. She has migrated permanently to India after two decade long personal and professional connection. Jennifer has written a book called Personal Disaster aimed at helping people approach their crisis via a system she developed. Welcome Jennifer in today's episode. So the first question that I want to ask you Jennifer is tell me a little bit about your personal and professional connection with India. Sure, sure. It's uh, great to speak to you Moa. I'm really happy to be here today and thanks for your interest. Um so basically about more than two decades ago I first came to India I knew nothing about India when I first came here it was a, a family connection and so I knew very little uh, I landed at about two or three o'clock in the morning I had not traveled overseas before and uh, it was in the middle of the Eid festival so it was quite quite a welcome to, to the country um, so I've been coming on and off uh, since 2000 so um visiting family traveling that sort of thing um probably about 10 years ago i started to bring some groups of friends over to india just to show them what all the uh, good stories are so and then 5 years ago i moved permanently so it was a very big move um i don't have ancestral home or anything like that back in australia so it was a matter of actually packing everything up and very big logistical and psychological uh move to make but the decision uh, we had decided uh, quite a few years ago to make that decision just to be close to family at that time um but yes i have uh, mainly uh, spent time in mumbai um however i have traveled around a lot and in fact uh, when we moved permanently it was in in fact to delhi so my living in india has been in north india uh delhi and now i'm in rajasthan so a long association um with family with traveling working here setting up businesses here and now living here um as a as a permanent person so let's just talk about your book personal disaster you know it's about handling crisis why and how did you come up with the idea for this book what happened was somebody actually said to me you seem to bounce back from things very quickly i was speaking to a woman in california and she was surprised that i had bounced back from you know certain things very fast and i had not ever thought of it like that before and i was just used to living my life as uh the things popped up in my life i would just deal with them and i had never considered the way that i handled life uh as something special something unique and somebody else said to me too that you seem to get unstuck very quickly and and this made me think what was what was it about me that uh, i was doing differently and perhaps people were noticing so this is really where it came from and uh having been through uh a reboot now a midlife reboot twice uh one was planned and one was unplanned it just occurred to me that i might be able to help a few people because i had learned quite early on how to deal with uh certain uh crises um but i just didn't know that i had learned it so i had to go trawl back through all the memories and try to think what isolate what it was that i was able to do um perhaps differently to other people perhaps not um i seemed to be able to handle 
quite difficult situations. And again, that may not be a, an ideal situation to be used to dangerous situations. Um, but anyway, I had um, come up with a system that I thought might be able to help people because what had happened is uh, I had managed to get through the crises, um, do it with uh, a lot of logistical things going against me and also do it almost alone. So I thought what I learned could be quite valuable for people if I could just isolate what those things were that I had uh, learned and what I did. Um, as a young person growing up in Melbourne, I was living through bushfires quite regularly and uh, I've lived through three bushfires in total now, two of the deadliest bushfires that Melbourne's ever seen. And my childhood was f sort of littered with, you know, fire sirens and summer danger and packing up the house, evacuations, things like that. So it was quite normal for me to be exposed to these sorts of things. I also had a exposure to dangerous uh, situations while on family vacations. Our family vacations were uh, on the water. And that can be quite a dangerous place for a child who uh, uh, might not be able to handle those circumstances, even if the parents are, are quite okay with that. So I had a number of things that had taught me how to just get along with life and overcome those problems. So I thought, let me put that together in a book. I might be able to help someone, just even one person. Uh, that, that was sort of the idea, the genesis, yeah. So what are the tips that you would share with our listeners, you know, when you talk about uh, surviving situations, you know, there would be some things that helped you, you know, bounce back really soon. So were there any things that you did, you practiced consciously or subconsciously that you can share with us? Yeah, sure. I think the first thing was uh, I had a very uh, good ability to quickly assess the situation. So um, even if it was quite dangerous and quite serious, I was still able to somehow uh, have a little bit of poise at that time to quickly calculate what a, a next safe move would be. So I was able to assess things very quickly. And that's actually how I came up with the system is I realised that my approach to the crises uh, was in fact the way to get out of it. So how I thought in those times. So I came up with a, an acronym WING, WING system, and that stands for, uh, the, the W for WING stands for what, meaning what have I got? I had to isolate what resources I had right at that moment. Um, so that was the first part of the system. It's just a simple system with four questions. The second part of WING system, the I, was impossible. That stands for impossible. And that meant what is impossible to change right now? Because what I found was if you get too deep into the problem that you're in and try to change things that are unchangeable at that time, such as perhaps laws or, you know, other people's opinions or things that you can't actually change anyway, that would really hold you back from recovering from the crisis. So identifying things that are impossible to change. The N was then isolating very quickly what I needed. You know, what I needed was a holiday most of the time, but what I actually needed to survive at that time. So I would um, write a list of things very um, specific things. So, uh, for instance, I could I could say if, if someone needed to find a job, that's a very broad thing to start doing. So I would break that down into what do I need? Okay, I need to fix up my resume. I need to start searching online. I would break it down to small doable steps. And then the G of the WING system was how do I get what I need? So I had these four questions that I identified and that's sort of my thought process of how I could get out of this uh, problem. And I thought if I'm ever in a problem and there's no one to help, 
sometimes you might be in a problem where there's a situation where there's no one to help you. Um, I could just remember this one word and I could go through these steps one at a time. And that was sort of how I how I did it. So I need to ask you the question that's constantly coming to my mind is how and why did you co-found a men's health and support system? Can you tell me a little bit more about this initiative and what inspired you to start it? Yes, absolutely. Um, so as a part of just uh, rebooting my life in midlife, I had a, an unplanned situation. I had to uh, find work um, and I had to retrain because I wasn't necessarily um, up to date or um, having skills that were necessarily desirable. So I had looked around. Someone had told me that I might be a good writer. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of writing before. Uh, so I started to write and I had uh, wrote uh, a couple of books in, in one year. So I found that it was I was actually enjoying the, the writing. And then uh, as a result of just finding work uh, difficult to find, um, I managed to meet somebody who was working on a project and that was the men's health project, menspsyche.com. And he actually, uh, his name's Harsh, and he had some experiences in his life uh, that led to him un being unable to sort of find help. So he decided to create this platform to sort of put um, uh, something out there, some information out there, some resources, some help for men. Um, he was actually um, involved in uh, disaster and crisis work in northern India in flood situations. And he was also just looking from a personal perspective for some help and resources online and was really unable to find that. So that led to him being interested for a few years to develop a, a project uh, that was specifically for men, of course, it's for everybody really to read. It's for anyone that's interested in, you know, the men in their life and, and having better lives for the men in their lives. So um, that was where that came from. So um, I'm writing on that uh, platform and um, also doing the other work associated with running a business. So that's where Men's Psyche came from. How phenomenal. So can you share some of the challenges that you faced, you know, while establishing uh, men's health and support platform? Yes, you said that it's for everybody, but men uh, don't open up that easily about their problems, right? They would really like to not confide. I mean, women do confide between friends. And now, of course, therapy and mental awareness, health awareness is becoming very popular. But what were the challenges like for men to open up? It's a difficult one because in order to um, serve people and actually um, answer their questions, you do have to get feedback and you do have to know what their problems are. But as you say, if they're not used to actually expressing those problems or talking about it, it is hard to get data on what people need, what their problems are. Um, Harsh feels that there is a, a silent majority of reasonable guys out there who really um, uh, have problems, have family problems, career problems, um, or just general interests. They might be interested in changing their looks, their image, you know, any, any kind of topic related to their life. Um, so it's, it's a matter of actually testing, testing what's out there at the moment, seeing the response, seeing if we, we are in fact helping. Um, we are working on a membership or a club type uh, product to go along with the website just to see if we can help more people, if there's a, a, a space that they can feel more comfortable uh, getting help um, or speaking to other guys. Uh, that can sometimes be good. Um, so we're working on that now. We're developing that. But as you say, that what happened was it was a particular article we wrote. Uh, it took four weeks to put together and it was uh, 150 resources for for men and it was based on in Indian men, even though our audience is actually global. 
it took four weeks to put that together because we could not find anything that was specific to them, to their health um, and to their interests. Uh, I found a lot of women's groups, which is fantastic. You know, we should be having a lot of uh, information to help women. I found a lot of um, LGBTQI groups as well in India, which is fantastic. I did not find hardly any men's specific groups. So it was a really challenging thing to actually put together some resources and uh, some support, some guides and some tips and advice for guys. We, we found it very challenging. So, you know, we'll see what happens in the future. We'll see where it all heads. But at the moment, we're trying to put some general information out there and we're working on the types of information we're putting out there. But really to help the, the average guy, the reasonable guy out there who's just trying to, to have a better life. I think it's fantastic because uh, more and more men are going to open up. The world is changing and uh, I'm sure there's a huge need for a platform of this sort. So let me talk to you about my favorite part, which is midlife rebooting. <laughs> I did it too. And, you know, I was an empty nest syndrome. You know, I was suffering this entire breakdown, you know, of my child who was my purpose in life. And he flew the nest and then I didn't know what the hell to do with myself. And exactly like you, someone said that I write and maybe I could become a writer. And that's when I started writing. And here I am with the podcast. So, you know, some of the things I think as a rebooter that's happened to me is this, that I was overwhelmed with technology all around me. And I was, uh, you know, I felt like a dinosaur. So what are the kind of challenges that you faced, uh, Jennifer, while you started your midlife uh, reboot with your work? It's so relatable when you talk about this, Moa, because I actually saw your TEDx talk and I just thought you've articulated a lot of the problems very well and it is overwhelming. Uh, I use the word shock, but that's not sufficient to actually explain what happens. Um, I wasn't prepared for it. It can be very destabilising to find yourself in midlife and whether it's an empty nest like your situation or other people may uh, lose a job or there could be relationship breakdown, whatever it is, it's actually a very big shock. And I think the first uh, step for me was to actually recognise that although this sounds a little bit harsh, my value to society had dropped and although, of course, we have value as midlife people and women and, and everything like that, I had to actually recognise that I wasn't, even though I had experience and I had, uh, I still feel 17, even though my knees feel about 150, but um, I had to realise that that's not how most people perceived me now. And it was a big shock. Uh, I had to very quickly pivot to make myself relevant. Uh, my skills were I think a lot of my skills were soft skills, so I'm not sure that they were that easy to ne necessarily translate into a career. Uh, technology is, is one thing I have never liked, so it's been very difficult for me my whole life to actually get interested in technology, I have to admit. But um, thank thankfully, India has a lot of excellent people that helped me, so I'm you know very grateful for that. Um, but I think the, I, the value um, that, that I now had, I had to face that. Um, that perhaps as a package, even though this sounds very harsh, as a package, I am not that marketable and I had to come to terms with that. Um, it doesn't mean it's right and it doesn't mean it's correct, but it, it's sort of a fact that you have to sort of repackage yourself and maybe find a new audience. That's possibly a, bit, a big part of it as well. I think the identity was gone. I had no idea who I was at that time in midlife. I actually forgot that I was a, uh, a national, I won a national sporting title. I actually forgot all about it. I forgot, I forgot half of my life. I don't, 
it's just a very bizarre thing to happen, actually sitting down and remember what you had done, do a sort of a mini life audit on your life, figure out which direction you want to go in. If you have resources to even go in that direction, it's really destabilising. And uh, I I do relate to what you're saying about the technology. And I remember from your uh, TEDx talk, you saying that... um, you had a lot of experience. I mean, you were a national head, a head of a national division, yet you struggled to sort of get through to perhaps ex-colleagues or other people that were in the industry to help you. And so you had to sort of go your own way, which has worked out pretty good, I must say. But um, yes, it's it's a kind of a disturbing thing to, to come up upon you because, I, as I said, I feel 17 in my mind. I think I'm, you know, I think I'm a 17-year-old. I think I've got energy and, you know, um, I don't think of myself as being in midlife, but that's exactly what I am. And it's more like reorienting yourself, you know. It's, it's very, very difficult. And I, you know, I congratulate you on what you've done. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I mean, thank you. I mean, I've always enjoyed every time I see you comment, you know, and we've connected via social media. So I do think that there is so much out there that um, the universe gets us together for us to have this conversation today. Tell me a little bit, Jennifer, about your journey in India. How has it been so far and what have you learned from it? And do you see yourself staying here really, really long? Yeah, well, like I said, I have actually moved permanently, so I don't have any other country to go to. So I hope I'm staying here for a long time. Um, I actually did migrate. My grandparents, all four grandparents are migrants to Australia. My mother's a migrant and it looks like I have turned into a migrant myself. So uh, yes, the plan is a long-term future in India. I've been coming here for a long time now, so it feels very normal for me to live in India. Um, I had sort of um, quite a passion to tell other people about uh, India, international people that uh, have an interest. Um, I am not uh, interested in a lot of the stereotypical things that perhaps people might think in India. I sort of, I didn't come to India for any particular reason, but I learned a lot about it while I, I came with the family. So I sort of grew to understand it. And uh, so I'm not sort of um, necessarily a travel sort of advocate or a a sort of a spiritual meditation advocate, yoga or anything like that. Um, I'm just a regular person and live a regular middle class life in India. Um, I have set up business here. I did work in Delhi in a, in a quite a challenging business and I uh, also set up myself up in Rajasthan. So I've got quite a broad experience of actually living here, uh, working just like everybody else does, catching the metro, catching the auto, um, ordering things online, you know, getting your ADA, getting your PAN card, all of this is just, you know, it's quite easy to do these days. There are challenges as, as a foreigner in India. I'm not going to pretend there isn't. But um, I find it very normal to live here now. It's, uh, it's uh, a fantastic country. I think uh, I, I wrote a letter to NRIs on my, my personal blog. I wrote a letter to returning NRIs because I just thought that, Um, For people who have lived overseas and then to compare to India, India is far advanced in a lot of areas and um, if anyone was thinking of returning to India, um, they shouldn't feel like it's a failure if they've gone overseas and they want to come back now. Uh, I think India is very advanced in a lot of areas um, to a lot of other countries and uh, apart from the fact that uh, the the uh, demographic here is a young demographic and they're up and coming, they're growing and uh, changes are happening very fast here. Uh, the rest of the world is a little different. It's a little slowing down. So it does feel a little dynamic and a little different in India to me, certainly. Um, so I, I often talk about India in, in glowing terms because I, I think it's, uh, it's 
sometimes get a little gets a little harsh treatment in the media. Uh, that's an understatement, actually. It gets a very harsh treatment. And uh, if you compare what India is and the diversity, the different backgrounds, you know, I often say to people, imagine if you were in the United States and every single state that you visited had a different language. You know, you went to Florida, then you went to Washington and everyone spoke a different language. There was a different culture. Just imagine how hard that would be. And imagine America with one billion more people in it and how well they would be going. Sometimes I just have to speak, you know, my mind and my opinion on India and and that's sort of how I see it. It's not that there's nothing wrong here. It's not that there's no problems in India. Of course there are. But uh, it's just my experience in India has been positive over two decades, so I feel like I I have to mention that. And I do write very passionately about that um, in in a personal sense, just on my personal blog. How wonderful. What's next for you, Jennifer? And can you give us a glimpse of any future projects or initiatives that you're working on? Well, I've got to get my head around men's psyche first. I'm I'm in the psyche of men right now, so... Wish me luck, um, but we're developing that. Um, we may do women's psyche if we can get any partners interested to work with us. We may develop that or, or uh, another type of uh, demographic or audience if, if anyone's interested. Um, I am working on something just myself. Um, I'm working on an international business directory. Um, it's called the Indian Advantage, and I'm going to be doing that sort of as a miniature promoter of India all by myself with no backing. Um, and I'm going to slowly work on that just to build up some images of the different cities in India that perhaps aren't covered that much. So maybe working across UP, maybe working across the centre, maybe indoor Lucknow, maybe even Calcutta. So working through some of those cities just to see, uh, just to promote businesses overseas. I think people don't get a lot of exposure to the average middle class, upper, upper middle class businesses and families. Uh, there's a little bit of knowledge uh, these days. Of course, there's big exporters in India. There, there's no need to promote those people. But other people, service industry, arts and crafts. So something like that. I'm, I'm sort of putting something together like that if I, if I have any time, if I can actually remain awake in the day. <laughs> Let's see. Fantastic. I wish you lots of luck, Jennifer, on doing all the phenomenal work that you're doing on mental health care for people in India and overseas. What are the three words that would describe Jen? Oh, gosh, that's um, that's very, very difficult. Um, what are the three words? Um, I would say curious. I think I'm a cre- curious person. I think that's why I like India so much. I think the people here are curious by nature and I, I enjoy their interest in life. So I would say I'm curious. I am say I'm, oh, that's really hard. I've never really thought about this. You've totally stumped me, Moa. Um, What else? I'm funny, if I could admit that. Are you allowed to call yourself funny? I do have a tiny bit of a sense of humour, and I think you can see that on Men's Psyche. Our articles are a little bit slanted towards the humorous sometimes. Um, And what else am I? I'm tired. Uh, Most of the time I'm tired. Um, No, I'm only joking. Um, What else am I? I think I'm generous. It, it feels funny to calling yourself these names, I must admit. Um, it feels uncomfortable and I'm, someone's going to probably tell me I have to improve my self-esteem or something. But um, yeah, maybe generous, funny and curious. That, that sounds like a nice, nice version of Jen, I think. Thank you so much, Jen, for being on this podcast today. And if I were to say three words for you, courageous, absolutely willing to take risks, you know, a huge appetite for risks and very very compassionate so thank you Jen for being on today's podcast and uh, wish you loads and loads of luck thank you so much it was so nice to talk to you 
To you, our dearest listeners, you can find us on your favorite streaming services, Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcast, and of course on all other major streaming services. With loads of love, we are the Mohua Show, where we talk imandari se. <laughs>